Hey, you'll, you'll remain standing. You'll remain standing for the reading of God's word. We are continuing in John chapter 17. Jesus is continuing to pray to God the Father. And as we read that where the Spirit of the Lord is, per usual, there is what church? All right. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you have a freedom to give an amen. And amen, if you want to vocalize that, is just to be moved by the Spirit. So much so inwardly that you outwardly give an amen, which ends up meaning in agreement. So as I read, you can give amens or you can just sit there and enjoy the reading of God's word. With that being said, John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus speaking here. I am praying not only for these disciples, but for also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. God, we thank you that you're a God of generations of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And that you not only care for us, but you care so much for us that you pray for us. <laughs> and it's not just praying for these adults in this room, God, but you also pray for the future generation that's in City Light Kids and those who are unborn in this room right now. Amen. And you pray that they would come to know you in a salvific way. God, we thank you for your care that you pray for us. God, we thank you for the message that has been given to us who have received the good news of Christ. And that good news is that we've been saved by Jesus, your sacrifice, and that by faith alone in you, by your grace and for your glory, just by our faith, placing it in you, we can be born again. Thank you for that message that we don't have to work our way up towards you, but you've worked your way down towards us. Picking it up in 21, I pray that they will all be one. Church, say one. one. Just as you and I are. Say it again with me. One, as you are in me, Father, I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and they are in me. Now catch this church. He's praying for us this morning. May City Light Bennington experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as the Father loves Jesus. Go ahead and take a seat. Uh, last week, we were in the text as usual at City Light Bennington. We go from one passage to the following passage to the following passage. We're not that creative. And last week, I felt led by the Spirit to wade into ethical moral issues of the culture and of politics. So last week I said some things that were controversial and the things that I said, some people affirmed me in and then others ended up not affirming me in because you disagreed. And looking back at what happened, I do want to apologize. I apologize for my lack of humility in how I said the truth and gave personal convictions that I hold to, my lack of gentleness and grace there. I apologize also for the lack of tact that I took. There was looking back, when having a passage within scripture that's controversial and not taking it as a whole message, I bought into the uh, understanding that I don't need to go into depth into God's word on convincing everyone that the enemy is behind the worldly movements we talked about last week. 
I do apologize for not walking us through and teaching us that much more out of the scriptures. I apologize for lacking nuance and balance. I look back at some of the things I said and I said, yeah, I could totally see where certain people may be justified in thinking it was a political spiel and a political debate. So I've gone to our father. If you've been blood bought, born again, and you are the church, I have gone and done business with the father on those things. And I apologize to you, and I personally ask you, if you were offended, to forgive me. For my lack of humility in Christ, I genuinely feel sorrowful from God because it did not represent God's kindness, gentleness, his mercies. Are you with me, church? You don't, yep, 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 I'm not even asking for that, but thanks. I do want to clarify a couple things. I hold to the conviction that the enemy is behind all those worldly movements we talked about. The content of what was said, I do genuinely believe, is the truth after studying and discerning, and although my lack of tact and teaching those things were what they were, I genuinely do still stand by some of those things that I said, all those things I said. The conviction that I possess, you can disagree with. You have liberty to disagree with me, and my heart behind it is, I would enjoy a conversation with you. <laughs> it's better to have a, a dialogue than a monologue, especially if you are disagreeing with someone who's your spiritual sibling. And I know that there may be intimidation because, right, the way that we're built, I get up, or Glenn, or Justin comes up here, and it may be intimidating to talk to the shepherd teachers, but I promise I want a conversation to hear you out, to understand you, and I'm not even going to lie, to also enter into some teaching, some teaching of where I ended up lying or how I got to those convictions. So my aim in meeting you, come, come after, holler at me. I love you, and I think a lot of you love me. <laughs> and so all of it's going to be based in gentleness, grace, leading with grace, and then following with truth, and that's where I lost. I led with truth, and I did not lead with grace, so I made it that much more harder for some of us to agree with. With that being said, the pulpit, just to clarify, the pulpit and the ministry of philosophy that we have is to herald the gospel and the word of God. Now, this talks about every ethical or moral issue you could imagine or ever experience, despite if the political process politicizes it and says you can't talk about it. The word of God is for the equipment of God's saints to have a worldview on how to discern the matters at hand and culture. So we will not, and I mean this in grace, I'm just letting people know with clarity and in love, we're not gonna shy away as we work through passages what from this says. And we trust in the word of God and the spirit of God. And so once we read and we ask the Spirit of God if this is where he wants to bring the application, by God's grace, we'll lead with grace, but also follow it with truth. I don't want my lack of humility to end up demising the pulpit philosophy that we have here at CLB. My intent's not to divide or alienate anyone but I genuinely do want to continue to be a spirit-led people from leadership on down. So the question you may be thinking to yourself is, okay, 
I may be disagreeing with what CLB said last week from the pulpit, me specifically. What shall you do now? And interestingly enough, by God's sovereign plan, I was designated to preach this week. We did not manipulate the calendar. And as you read, the emphasis that Jesus wants to emphasize today is unity within the church. You can't end up making this stuff up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. God, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your truth. And God, I'm asking that you would soften hearts for those who have despised me, uh, been tempted to hate me. God, I receive all of that in love and empathize with where they're coming from. And I'm asking that you would withhold the enemy and his temptations on this church to divide your people. Would you unite us over the essentials that are closest to your heart? Spirit of God, you are living and active, and I ask you right now to anoint my mind, that you would guide me, that you would govern my tongue, and you would guard my heart as I'm up here. I choose to fear you instead of fearing any other opinion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 20, Jesus, we're going back in the prayer. Jesus is talking to the Father here. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion. And interestingly enough, he does not take this time right here to pray for his disciples, although that's already happened. He doesn't take time right here to pray to the Father for his well-being, because, I mean, he is about to get crucified, although that's going to happen. Instead, he prays for us. And if you really think, ruminate, meditate, purposely think on what that is contextually, that God was inconvenienced and in stress knowing that his earthly demise was right on the cusp. And yet he prays for us, knowing that Roy and those in CLB would continually neglect him during our life. That we would stiff arm God. That we would rebel against God that we would end up being hard-hearted and stiff-necked just as the Israelites towards God, that we would get born again by God's spirit, we would end up waving our hands in surrender, praising God in church service, and yet still, too often than not, end up neglecting him, that we would receive every spiritual blessing and not thank him for him. Church, God is praying for us despite us. Despite us. He doesn't overlook us in this moment. He doesn't end up breaking fellowship in this moment. He doesn't end up moving away from us in this, mo- in this moment. What he does is he takes a step forward despite us to bridge the gap, and he prays for us. Are you feeling the heart of God on that? Church, this is the first thing that Jesus is modeling when there are disagreements within the church, knowing that we would sin against one another. It is prayer. That is the first step, is to pray for those who offend you. And it is talking to God the Father and doing something unfathomable before you got born again. Praying for those who you disagree with and those who you think are your enemy. He does the unfathomable. This past week, I got a text from someone in the congregation, love him, and he said that he was praying for me in a mighty discernment in things of ethics, politics, morality, whatever to touch on. And I found out later in the week that he disagreed with me on those things. 
do you end up seeing what Christ has bought for us? That we can disagree with someone, and yet we can still pray for that person. And if it sounds foreign to you, maybe we take too much cues from the culture. If it sounds foreign to you, this is exactly how the, the, the family of God operates. It's exactly how God wants us to unify. It shouldn't sound foreign to us from this day forward. We're instructed by God's word to pray for the church. You'll end up seeing here Ephesians 6, verse 18. Paul writing here to the Ephesian church, he says, pray in the spirit sometimes. Oh, my bad. All times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. If Jesus is running your life, you are labeled the church. If you are the church, the people of God, God has bought you by his blood and given you not only the ability to pray for someone you disagree with, but the want to. Not just the ability, but the actual desire to pray with those because of unity. If Jesus prayed for us, yet while we were still sinners, church, how much more should we be praying for one another as we disagree on non-essential issues? I'll work through that in a little bit if you're curious as to what that is. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, an English pastor teacher from the 1800s. He writes, no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. CLB, if we haven't said this, you are invited and actually we need your praying. As the Spirit brings me, Glenn, Justin, anyone who'd be up here, Lexi, amongst one another, but especially from leadership, we need your praying. <laughs> it is the kindest thing that you could do for my family is when you are praying for us and the salvation of our kids, the preservation of our marriage, that we would not only love one another, but like one another, that we would enjoy community on a staffing level. It's the kindest thing you can do. But let's get back into the conversation because Jesus is gonna end up praying something specifically for us. Verse 21, Jesus praying to the Father here. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Jesus prays that City Light Bennington would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. The word that Jesus uses in Greek is hein, heis, heis, and it means a single unit. That's what it looks like to be one in this prayer. And so in the Trinitarian God that we worship, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are one in nature and in quality, but they also have, they have shared roles and some differing roles. And yet they're still one unit. In other words, Jesus is praying, y'all, that we would be one unit, that would, that would be united, but we would not be uniform. God is promoting in this passage and through the scriptures, unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. St. Augustine of Hippo was a theologian of the 300s, and he wrote this, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But here's the key. In all things, charity, love. We are to be one unit in the essential Christian doctrines of faith and unite despite disagreements within COB over those things. You'll end up seeing them 
up here. This is on our statement of faith, picked from there, and it is Christian Orthodox statement. So as we work through, this is the unity that we need to have over these things. If we don't agree in these things, you'll see a breaking of fellowship and it actually being biblically permissible. Let's look at it. First one, God's eternal. No one made God. He's one God, three in nature, or sorry, one God in nature, three persons with shared and differing roles. The Bible is the infallible word of God that what we see in it, we don't have to question because it was spoken by faith. We believe by faith that it is God's word and it directs how we see everything. Humanity is distinct in that we're created in God's image, both male and female, and that there are roles and assignments that have been given to male and female, and the sexual relationships are within marriage. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. You can see all these verses on your own. You can go look it up after if you desire to study. Holy Spirit indwells the born-again believer. Everyone's born with original sin. That is what has separated each one of us from a holy and perfect God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, that God saves sinners through the life, burial, and resurrection and death of Jesus. Salvation is the free gift of God and is provided by God alone through faith alone because of Christ alone for God's glory alone. And if someone would turn from their sin, meaning repent and trust in Christ for their forgiveness, that they'd be born again. We need to unite over that God, his, by his spirit, guides, leads, preserves the local church and his people. And he's, been, he's given us gifts to serve one another. And that Jesus will return and usher in a new heaven and new earth in which there'll be at that point zero disagreements and conflict. Okay? These are the things with simplicity. And each local church has to discern these things. But this with a clear conscience we can share with you is what we need to unite over. It's what St. Augustine ended up calling the essentials of Christian doctrine. We're to be one unit, one band, one sound, in sync on these essential doctrinal issues. But we're not to be uniform in the non-essentials. And I'll explain that. What I shared last week was a conviction, not a doctrine, that the enemy is behind all those movements. It was a conviction. And you throw it into the category of non-essential, meaning you can disagree with me on those things and we don't have to break fellowship. Are you feeling me there? Is this, is this helpful? We don't have to disagree and break fellowship with there. But again, I want to reiterate, why are we disagreeing? That's my question. Come to me. I want to know. Because genuinely, I confess, there are times I have to look at myself and say, what is influencing me? Is it my emotions? Is it my circumstances? Is it the way that I was born and raised? What, there are so many influencers. I just want to have that conversation of how do people, as we self-reflect, come to these disagreements? And because of this, because there's liberty in the non-essentials, it is one of the reasons why that we have diversity throughout the church, not only here, but in other local churches. Diversity in political parties that are represented here as you vote. Diversity in skin color. There are a few black folks in here, so, you know, we can actually claim that we're a diverse church. That was a joke. It's okay, white people, it's okay. <laughs> Diversity on theological issues that are non-essential. 
There is diversity in the church, liberty on non-essential issues. You feeling me? But I also want to clarify, there can be no diversity in truth. No diversity in truth. And as time goes on, and you trust the leadership and pray for the leadership, we'll wade into those matters and clarify, unlike I did last week, of what is non-essential, what is essential, here is truth. And it's incumbent on you, as we study, for you to continue to ask the Holy Spirit if it's true. And let's not overlook the reason why. If you've been thinking, like, why is Jesus praying for this? It's the same principle of why we pray for anything. For unity to happen in CLB, it will have to take divine help. That is why we pray in every facet of our life. And this is the same exact situation. Y'all, we have a lot that will want to pull us away. Personally, we have our old sin nature that when you disagree with people, there are old habits that we each have that want to pull away and just kill someone off and be like, it's easier to just not deal with you. It's easier to go somewhere else. Then we also have the enemy who sows seeds of discourse and wants to divide the people of God, as he always has been as the original critic. That's the greatest enemy. And then we also have the culture. And the culture will promote dividing when you don't disagree. We have a strong current against this church that when we disagree, that current will want to end up taking us away and getting us into isolation because of disagreement and bitterness. By God's grace, by God's grace today, he'll preserve us in that. Look with me also what's true in the next verse as Jesus continues to talk to the Father. I've been, I have given them the glory you gave me, as he prays to the Father, so they may be one as we are one. Jesus revealed the character of the Father to us. And it's because of us believing in him and because of his sacrifice, the scriptures say that we can be united. We actually have the ability to be united during disagreements. In other words, what I'm trying to articulate is we can agree to disagree on some non-essential things because we're all born again. We have a lot in common, y'all. Despite voting platforms fill in the blank, despite the Enneagram and where you land there, despite whatever you prefer to watch, or I mean, even within our marriages, we end up seeing just how dynamic and different human beings are. And yet still we have the most important things in common. You're gonna end up seeing a slide here. We are going to take a minute and I am not gonna talk. And I desire that you would put your eyes on these. Grab one of these truths that are true if you are born again. There are 79 of them. Just grab. These are the things that you have in common with someone you disagree with.
you feel uncomfortable, by the way. Just a thought. This list is so long <laughs> with what we have in common. That being uncomfortable of, of, of just sitting here in silence is a good thing. continue talking as you have your eyes up there we have not just a lot in common church we have the most important things in common which are spiritual realities that if you bow the knee to Jesus we're all a part of the family of Christ and share these things in common our blood bought identity and spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms all this unity talk is not just for ourselves, just because, you know, some harsh words were said last week. Jesus intends in this text that it actually be for what's greater and a greater purpose than our relationships, but it's for the onlooking world. Verse 22, Jesus speaking here, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity. There's one thing for us to go through these and get it in our head, but just like salvation, the difference maker is the 12 inches from the pinkest, grayest tissue up here down to your heart where we experience these truths that end up wanting us to unite over disagreements. Our willingness to unite despite disagreements will end up being a massive floodlight that will end up drawing non-Christians to be curious, curious about the God that we worship. Because in all reality, God's given us some to-dos to do. They're called the one another's. And if you look up with me on the screen, there are a hundred times that God calls us to treat one another in a certain way. And the culture, this, this seems all good. The, the culture, these, these are not necessarily countercultural things. Everyone in culture would end up saying, these are admirable things, they're moral things, sure, we promote these things. And the first half of one third of it is to be unified with one another, as you read up on the screen. Then you'll see the next one is, you'll, be, you'll fight for loving one another. That's the next one third of one another's within treating each other in the church. There's humility and then there's rest. But interestingly enough, what will draw people is that we do this with those we disagree with, is that we do this with those we see as possible enemies. You see, the culture will do some of these things. They'll go at other per another person's preference. It's called behavior modification and we all did it. <laughs> but the difference genuinely is is that when it hurts to do it, the church, by God's grace, will do it. We will treat one another with humility, with respect, with love, and in unity. And God tells us to do all these commands, all these 52 plus commands up to 100, regardless of our circumstances. They are commands. Despite if someone offends us, 
Because if, in all reality, we offended the God of the universe first. And yet still, he extended loving kindness in every way you've seen those passages. He's been that, plus Google to us. He's that kind of God, totally different. How valuable is unity in the church? Jesus went to the cross, endured man and his sin, and ended up suffocating and yet still rising on the third day so that we would be united to him, church. How valuable is unity within CLB? It's enough that God gave his all despite us. And it's just by God's grace that we end up getting to do something that is an object lesson, a visual teaching, and that's communion. If you're serving communion, please go to your stations. You're free to. Uh, communion we do if you are born again and if Jesus, you've consciously said to lead, lead your life, it's for the church. And so after I make this invitation, it's, again, a reminder that we would keep in remembrance God's good and loving kindness because of his life, death, and resurrection. And so as we end up getting invited to stand up and walk over, my instruction unique to this morning is look at everyone who's getting up, if you are a part of the church, if you are born again, as a spiritual sibling, looking to unite over the essentials. And for those of you who haven't yet bowed the knee to Jesus and is not allowing Jesus to run your life, I invite you to just chill out, sit down. This is a biblical family meal. And so as people would get up and come over to these tables, my prayer is that God would give you and move you with some thoughts about why these people individually have said yes to Jesus. My prayer is that God would minister to you just in the sheer volume of people getting up. So with that being said, we get this from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes to the church, and this is communion. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. After I pray, feel free as the Spirit moves you to get up and go. Jesus, thank you so much that you died to unite us and you rose to unite us. Would you give us a beautiful gift that comes from your spirit of discernment? We need that. We need to lead in grace and in truth. And would you end us giving us, giving us the resolve to neither budge on either of them, but get them right in correct order. Would you build your church, God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.